Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 20? And we've come to verses 41 through 44. And from that passage, that text, I want to extract and deliver a message that I call the deity of Christ. Let's look at the scriptures. I didn't think that part was in Luke. I don't know. Ah, there we go. Before we begin with Luke, we need to take note of how Matthew deals with this set of circumstances, this particular issue. Remember now, Christ... It's probably, it's probably Wednesday and he's going to be crucified on Friday. There's a plethora of teaching that Christ has already done and continues. And I mentioned last time that uh, what we saw in the last part previous to this was the fact that the religious leaders did not ask him anything else or confront him any further. That was it. But now it's Jesus' turn. There's one issue that they've dodged and they've danced around and Christ is going to bring them right to that issue. In order for us to grasp the overall setting we begin with how Matthew introduces that particular setting because it leads right into what Luke says. So from Matthew 22 and verse 41, now having assembled together the Pharisees, Jesus questioned them, saying, what do you think concerning the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, David's son. Now we pick it up there with Luke. They said he's David's son. So now Christ responds. Now we're in Luke 20, beginning verse 41. Then he said to them, how do they declare the Christ to be the son of David? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, and here Christ quotes the 110th Psalm. What we see is verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies as your footstool. If therefore David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Let's go back then to the 110th Psalm in the Old Testament. Let David Mizmoor of David a Psalm. Yahweh. Naum. It's, it, starts, it starts actually with Naum, which is a it's translated said, you would say uh, the Lord said or, or God said or, or well, Yahweh said, the Lord Yahweh said. 
So we have it in the English that the way I translate. Yahweh said to Ladani, Yahweh, a great God. But Yahweh is not the first word in the Hebrew text. This is important for what Christ, because you see these Pharisees would have understood this. The first word after the introduction of the fact that it's a Psalm of David, the first word is a noun. Now we translate it said, and that would seem like a verb. But this is a, this is a divine combination. And you only see it like this with reference to Yahweh. And the Hebrew word there is noun, 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 utterance. So if you just want to put it like it says, it would be uh, Naomi Yahweh, utterance Yahweh, or utterance Yahweh. It's, it, it, it belongs together because it is a divine utterance. You can't attribute that to any human. As a matter of fact, it's not that way in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a thing that belongs to Yahweh, a divine utterance. All of the Jews understood in Christ's day that this 110th Psalm was a Messianic Psalm. Something that referred to the Messiah. So on that ground, at this point, they agree. Christ and these Pharisees. Utterance Yahweh to Adonai. Adonai. Okay, Yahweh, our great God, who is also known as Adonai, sovereign Lord, master, owner of who I am. So it's a, it is a reference, it is a reference to God himself. So it's the Father speaking to the Son. Utterance Yahweh, Ladani. And here's the utterance. Sit. Shiv. Shiv. Sit or remain here. Dwell at my right hand. Now the right hand is the hand of authority. It's described like that in the, in the Bible or in another place. The, hand of the, the, the right hand of, is the hand of authority. It is the hand in, in, of dominion. It is the hand of dignity and power. It is the hand of exaltation. It is the hand and the place of co-regency. So Yahweh utters, Yahweh utterance, it's a noun. It has to belong to Yahweh. Utterance Yahweh, Ladoni. Remain in the exalted place of authority and dominion until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. This means that the foot of Adonai, by the power of the Godhead, 
would be placed on the neck of the enemy. What was the original prophecy of the seed of woman? The seed of the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will bruise his head, crush it, put his foot on it, and hold it there. It's the place where the victor stands victorious over his subjugated and defeated enemy. This is a divine prophecy that is working itself out through time even today as we are. It is being worked out that the enemies of Christ are being worked in the sovereign way that God would work them such that finally the foot is placed on the neck of the enemy. A defeated enemy. This is where we are as the Lord's people. So we rest. We rest in sublime comfort knowing that our God is in charge and that His Christ will rule and reign. The New Testament teaches us, just to summarize, of course, that, and we've seen this already in Luke, that the Lord Christ, via His Holy Spirit and the work of His church, a spiritual kingdom is being developed and built in the hearts of people. Finally, the only people who enter into the millennial kingdom are those who were in the spiritual kingdom. And thus the millennial kingdom is introduced a thousand years. And finally, the kingdom is given up to the Father by the Son into the eternal kingdom. All the way through to the eternal kingdom, the outworking is from the throne of heaven. The enemies of the Christ are the enemies of God and that Messiah, Christ, is God, the Son, and all of His enemies will be defeated. Now, Christ has enemies today. He's always had enemies. He has enemies. This world hates Jesus. It has to hate Jesus because Jesus is King of kings. Jesus is absolutely sovereign. And in the depraved nature of man, only, only darkness proceeds from, from such a person. Has no light within him. And he, he cannot subject himself to someone who would save him. He cannot believe that he cannot save himself in his humanistic pride. And that's the world. That's just part of the world. Therefore, the world has to come against Christ. And Christ is something. Christ is a man, Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus, the man, was something unique, different, and even apart from other men. He's the God-man. He is God who became a man. 
The Bible gives us the definition of God, and we find that God has chosen to reveal Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We understand that. And we also know from our study, even in Luke, that the Son of God has subjected Himself to the Father, and that He has come to redeem His own, and that He cannot do anything and will not do anything apart from the will of the Father. So He's in constant prayer. And whatever Jesus does is done by the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even act in His own power. So that God Almighty is working to our salvation and to the final subjugation of the enemies of the Christ of God. God has chosen to reveal Himself to us as a man. Not even in the glorified state will we ever be able to totally comprehend God. He's God. We can't, we can't even apply words that are man, all words are man-made. We can't apply man-made words like infinite or we think of omnipotent and omniscient. And that's great. And we, under, we get a, a glimpse of that. But God's far beyond that. God is in a realm and in an existence that we just can never understand. So how will we ever know Him? We cannot know Him unless He chooses to reveal Himself. And He has chosen to reveal Himself specifically and personally in the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Christ knows that the cross is just around the corner. He's been telling his disciples. And he has this, 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 this great teaching that he has to teach the people before that time comes. You see, the theology of, of Judaism was that they, they, they totally ignored the prophecies of the first coming of the suffering Messiah. They just wanted to bypass that and go right to the victorious Messiah. The one whom you and I understand is Jesus who comes again in power and glory. Perhaps not long from now. So then, there has to be correction and people have to be made to understand that self-righteousness cannot save you. The law cannot save you. Now, the Pharisees and those before them in the rabbinical tradition had come to, to convince the people that they could obey the law perfectly and they could be saved. Of course, that's not true. The law is only to reveal the sinful condition in which we live. So, the law revealing that sinful condition drives us to our Savior. Christ teaches this, telling them that He is the Savior. The Pharisees and others Having, you remember, we talked about this, they rejected the baptism of John. They were never baptized by John because they didn't see themselves as needing to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. They said, oh, we're, we're, we're good. We're ready. He'll appreciate us. So they're, they're, not, they're not part of anything except self-righteousness. That's all they are, self-righteous. Believing they can save themselves. The great lie from hell that you can take care of yourself for eternity. And that's absolutely wrong. It's a damnable thought for a person to think that he can be good enough to save himself. Can do enough good things. How do you define good things? Goodness is always being redefined. 
what is correct these days and right in the mind of the world 20 years ago was wrong. As a matter of fact, things that are allowable today and that, that we're told that we have to respect and honor because it's good and right, those things were criminal 50 years ago. You can't depend on man to define righteousness. It's impossible. Only God can do that. He does that by the Ten Commandments. Only to reveal our need for His salvation. Salvation and the deliverance of a fallen mankind is such a task that only God Himself can do it. And He, he does it, per, He has to do it personally. Thus He comes in the person of Christ. So here, all right, one thing about it, they never, they never denied the genealogy of Christ. They knew He was son of David. They, they, they never argued that at all. They never argued the reality of His miracles. They rather, in the, in the previous months to this, as we've studied in Luke, they rather tried to attribute them to Beelzebub, the, 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 the Lord of filth, a demon, that it was the power of hell that was empowering Christ to do these things. And there was a great division then among the Jews regarding how Christ got His power. So they never argued the fact that He was a miracle worker or the fact that He was the son of David. Now he has revealed, and we've seen it in our study, he has the power to forgive sin, power to raise the dead, heal the sick, rebuke nature, walk on water, do something that was divine, do things that were outside the realm of possibility in the normal human standard. Couldn't deny those things. As a matter of fact, in this crowd would have been Lazarus who had just been raised from the dead some days earlier. What then? What can we say? They've called him the devil or the son of the devil, Beelzebub. But there's an elephant in the room that Christ is going to address. Whose son? is Messiah. Whose son is Christ? Son of David. Then how is it that David calls him his Lord? How can that be? So Christ addresses it in this way. Number one, here's the piercing question. Everybody's going to answer this question whether you like it or not. You answer it by default, that's just as bad as answering it in the negative or whatever. Who is Christ? Jesus, outside Caesarea Philippi, asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Oh, you're one of the prophets. You're John the Baptist come back from... Who do you say that I am? Peter, of course, answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, in the shadow of the temples of Caesarea Philippi, 
knowing that all of those temples were tributes to false gods and goddesses and the pagan world of Rome, Peter would say in his answer, all these gods are dead. They don't exist, but you are the son of the living God. Son of God. This means God among us. And he said, you know, you're right. And you couldn't have dreamed that up yourself. Only my father could have revealed that to you. So, who is Christ? You better get it right. Because if you don't get that answer right, if you don't answer this question correctly, it will cost you heaven and send you to hell. I'm going to show you that. The piercing question, who is Jesus Christ? Here's the common answer. He's really a great guy. He was good. Misunderstood by some, but he loved people. Oh, he's full of love. He's loved people. And he did all these good things. But he's not God. He's dead. He was good. We study his teachings all the time. And we try to love like he loved The final definition of love from Christ is when he is on that white horse stomping on the fallen corpses of his enemies, splashing their blood on his robe, his vesture dipped in blood. I say again what I read so long ago and I've shared it with you many times. Jesus is coming back and boy is he mad. There is a thing called, in philosophy, called conceptual polarity. For example, beginning of the Bible, let there be light, and there was light, and God separated the light from darkness. You couldn't understand darkness unless you understood light, and you couldn't understand light unless you experienced darkness and saw darkness. You can't really understand the love that Christ has for the Father and for the covenant that was established between Father and Son in an unknown realm and age and the love that He has for His church and the love that He has for the holiness of His person and the Godhead. You can't understand the true love of God until you see Him come in his wrath poured out on sin. The common answer is he's a really great guy. Even people within Christendom do not have the proper grasp of the Christ of God. Here's the biblical answer. He is the eternal God. Remember John 1, in in the beginning was the Word. And so in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God. Word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things through Him came into existence, and apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. Drop down to verse 14. And the Word... And the Word, flesh, did become. That's God. Philippians 2, you know, laid aside His deity, became a man, died an awful death. So then, here is the biblical answer. Christians need to strive throughout their lives to be sure that our worldview is biblical. The world is tainted and fallen, spoiled, destructive. The biblical worldview is always right. Absolute truth that survives all of the attacks that have been made on it. The biblical answer, he is God who became a man. Here's a great question. Who is he to you? Who is Christ to you? Let me go back to 1 John 2 and verse 22. Who is the liar if not the one denying that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one denying the Father and the Son. Everyone denying the Son, neither has he the Father. The one confessing the Son also has the Father. What did Christ say? I and my Father are one. So Christ says to these leaders of religion, two days before the cross, okay, you've grilled me pretty good and I've answered every question. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Whose son is the Christ? David's son. If just and only that, how can he Say, he is his Lord. The 110th Psalm. I love it. Listen to me. Here's how you study the Bible. You accept the Bible in its plenary verbal inspiration. Every word is right. God did not stutter. God knows how to talk. And proper exegesis. For Christ to have referenced something that came to them in originally in the Hebrew, using the structure of the language, proving to these people that the one who was referenced in the 110th Psalm, the Messiah, is co-regent at the throne. Yahweh, my Adonai. Look at this again. Do you see what this verse says? 
the world. Here is the difference between real Christianity and everything else. Your perspective of Christ. If he is less than God to you, you are not saved. How can just another man save you? He cannot. This is genuine Christianity, you see, that understands and accepts the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God became a man, revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth. That there is a divine reality about Jesus. And that's our message to the world. You see, if he's God, he's sovereign, he's, he's all these other things, he's, you better do what he says. But if he's not God, you don't have to really do what he says. It doesn't matter, right? God. Accommodating himself to the time-space continuum to accomplish a ransom payment to receive what the Father had promised him before the foundation of the world. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. If the world could just walk away and deny that, the world is not any different from us. And if Christ is not God, then Christianity is no different than anything else in this world. So think about that. If God became a man, what would you expect from him? Let's think about that. First of all, I would expect him to be perfectly holy. Nothing staining at all the person of God. Pure holiness. Secondly, unbound power. He could accomplish anything that he wanted to do. He could speak a word. He could wave his hand. He could talk. He could do anything he wanted to do. And whatever he would do with his hand or his word or with his eyes, it would be done because God walking among us not only would be absolutely holy and sinless, but he would possess unbound, unrestrained power. If he's God, then whatever he said would be absolutely true because he would be all-powerful. He would speak the absolute truth with force such that people would be drawn and hang on every word. He would speak truth. Whatever he said would be true. And if God walked on this planet for a space of time, he would leave an unequaled influence and effect on history. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of? Of course it does. 
Jesus Christ. And you would hope that above everything else, he would be gracious and loving and kind and that he would look upon you with love and that he would bring to you the great offer of salvation such that you could live with him forever. That's what you'd hope for. You wouldn't want him to walk around beheading everybody he saw. Calling down fire from heaven on everybody. You would hope beyond all other hopes that God who walked in this world would be gracious and kind. That verse 14 in John 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. Pleres, full, the absolute essence of Christ. Grace and truth. Oh, that God who walked among us demonstrated his power and spoke his word to us, oh, that he would be gracious. That I could cry out, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he would. Just out of grace and love. And finally, above all hopes, that he would bring favor to me. And joy to me. And that the life, the great life that he has, he would share with me. That I could be where he is. That I could live in his place. In his great house. And that he would share with me all that he has and give me life forever. Joyful, happy life. That's the Christ. That's the Christ. The Christ of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners. The Bible says that if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confessing your sin, call upon Him, coming to Him by repentance and faith, that God will save you in Christ Jesus. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. If you would come to Christ today, in the act of standing, would you share that with me today? Just come and take me by the hand and just say, Pastor, I want Jesus in my heart, in my life. 
Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and this is where God leads you to come and worship Him and serve Him with other believers and fellowship with other believers. This is where you want to make your church home. We'll take care of all of the details of membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, speak to our hearts as only you can do now and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?